friends, Shelly D from Wisconsin says, the angel membership is absolutely worth the cost. It has such amazing and detailed information in it. And I'm grateful she changes it up yearly with new course content to help us expand on what we have already learned. Shelly D, thank you so, so much. Love having you in the angel membership. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis. Today, we're here with Shauna Shapiro, Dr. Shauna Shapiro. She has a new book out called Good Morning, I Love You, a guided journal for calm, clarity, and joy. Dr. Shapiro, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, I'm so excited you're here too. So you have a YouTube TED Talk that has over 3 million views on it. And I want you to talk to people a little bit more about that and start with the beginning of your story because at, I believe 17 years old it was, you had spinal fusion surgery where it kind of brought you to a spiritual awakening mm -hmm. through that. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so... And, and it's interesting. I'm just, the reason I'm pausing is because you said it brought me to a spiritual awakening. And what I would say is it opened my mind so I could see things differently. Mm. I feel like my spirituality has continued to deepen, but what the, I, I'll tell you the story. So when I was 17, um, I had spinal fusion surgery. So I had a metal rod put in my spine and overnight, I went from this healthy, active teenager to lying in a hospital bed, unable to walk. I was in the hospital bed for six months. I had just gotten a volleyball scholarship to play at Duke University, and I never played or I never played volleyball again. So it was a very traumatic thing to happen to a teenager. And I wish I could say I had the spiritual awakening right in that moment, and all of a sudden everything was blissed out. And that's not what happened. What happened was I was in a lot of pain. I was um, very depressed, very anxious. You know, just terrified that I wouldn't walk normally again, that I wouldn't look normal, that I would always be in pain. And it was during that time that my father introduced me to a, a book, Wherever You Go, There You Are, by Dr. John Kabat-Zinn about mindfulness. And I read the opening passage. I remember very clearly because it was hard for me to actually hold a book up. I remember it put strain on my back. And so it was like this big deal to hold it. It was a hardcover book. It was a big deal. And I was like, oh, dad. And then I started reading it. And the first line said, no matter what has happened to you, it's already happened. The real question is now what? Mm -hmm. And it was like this light bulb went off. Like I have a choice. You know, I don't have to lie in bed having panic attacks and anxious and depressed every day. I can choose to put my attention in different places. And so I started reading about mindfulness and about meditation. And I started kind of trying to practice on my own and didn't really have any guidance, but I started noticing small shifts. Like, and I wasn't really meditating, but I was trying to be mindful. I was trying to be present. And I would notice like the smell of the ocean air coming through my window or how my mom fixed the pillow for me, or just, you know, the, how I could start to feel my toes or that, that, that there's like this awakening. And I realized up to that point, and this is where kind of the awakening that you, you talk about up to that point, I'd been unconscious just on automatic pilot. And so when I was finally healthy enough, I went to Thailand and Nepal to kind of 
dive into this meditation stuff because I'd glimpsed some possibility. And while I was there, I was at the monasteries for a few months, but while I was there, it was really quite extraordinary because the first few weeks I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to meditate. My mind is wandering all the time. And if you're listening to this, you might notice your mind has already wandered off a few hundred times. That's okay. Research shows that the mind wanders 47% of the time. So this is research from Harvard and well-documented. So about half of your life, you're, you're missing, you're spaced out. And what started to happen with mindfulness is I started to be more present. And as I was more present, I started to inhabit my body a bit more. Instead of my mind being somewhere else, it was in my body. And as I started to do that, my body began to heal. And after my time at the monastery, towards the end of it, I realized I was experiencing this peace and this contentment I'd never known before. And even more remarkable, I wasn't in pain. For the first time since my surgery, I was without pain and nothing had changed. Like I didn't, you know, nothing in my external world had changed. And, you know, I'm pretty pragmatic. I'm a scientist. And I remember thinking like, what the hell just happened? You know, like I was so confused. And um, so when I went back to the United States, I wanted to study it scientifically. So I began a PhD program and have really spent the last 25 years studying the impact of mindfulness and meditation. And I can explain the difference in a moment and how they literally rewire our brain, our nervous system, our, you know, our mental pathways, our emotional pathways. And for me, it's been an ongoing spiritual awakening to get back to your question. It's been this, this every day I'm learning and growing and, and, you know, and struggling and succeeding and failing. And it's this really beautiful process. I love that you describe it that way, because so often we don't embrace it as a beautiful process, but it is. So I want to jump into this piece with you. I have found a lot of folks who can learn to get into what I call a oneness energy, where Mm -hmm. you're feeling like I believe oneness is the energy of God, universe, source. It's the highest vibration that is. It includes love, joy, peace, bliss, ease, and grace. It's delicious. But (laughs) yeah, a lot of people when they're in this can almost their consciousness, their consciousness is still in the body, but almost their presence and their attention and awareness is more hovering in their auric Mm -hmm. field space. Yeah. And There are some people who have this disconnect where they're not bringing it into the physical body. Have you experienced that? And how do you bring it into the physical body to really embody that as well? Or are they two different things to you? I love that you brought that up. And what was interesting is as you were speaking, you like started embodying it even more. I could feel you like bringing that into the body. (laughs) And I think it's one of the most important things and maybe one of the biggest pitfalls of meditation practice and all spiritual practice is it becomes this like esoteric, ethereal, out-of-body experience, which those are beautiful and important and help you recognize that we're not just this physical body. It helps you have this understanding, right? This insight. And yet the intention, the deepest goal in prayer is to bring that back into the body so that we're living it with this beautiful temple that we've been given for this whole life, that we're, we're 
moving in our body with that soul or source or unified field. And when you start doing that, that's when healing happens. And so when I work with my patients or my students or myself, it's really about connecting with that universal source energy, feeling the power of it, feeling my gratitude that I'm not all alone, that I don't have to do everything by myself, and then bringing it into my body so that I can walk in the world with it. Yeah. For me, that's been an experience learning how to do this. And I think it can take months, if not years, to really walk through each piece. Because as I've done this for myself, you come back into the body and there can be shedding of a lot of different layers, shedding Mm -hmm. of a lot of different stuff. What was your process and what did that healing look like? How long did it take for you to kind of bring this into your body and find healing start to begin? Yeah. Um, I wish that I could say it was a fast process. You know, um, it has been a lifelong process. And part of it is, you know, I had so many nerve cuts and so many, so, you know, having spinal surgery, I couldn't feel my body very well. So I literally had to come back into my body. Like I had to find sensation. I had to learn to walk again. And I think because it happened during my teenage years, it really disconnected me from my body. It was like, this is not a safe place. And, you know, I hadn't really explored sexually yet. So it was like, everything was very foreign to me. And so what I would say, you know, here I am a 48 year old woman is that it's still a process of finding my way into my body, trusting my body, listening to it, loving it, right? That so often we're fighting our body. Why are you in pain? Why don't you look this way? Why can't you do this? And there's all these kind of ideas in our mind of what right looks like or what perfect looks like instead of really learning to love ourselves. And that for me has been an ongoing and the most important practice of my life. I love it. I want to jump into your research. You have done all of this research. You have found how mindfulness and meditation rewires the brain. Start with your experience and talking to people about the difference between mindfulness and meditation. Mm, Yes. So there are a lot of myths and confusions about what mindfulness is and what meditation is. I just want to dispel some of those. So first of all, mindfulness is not about kind of you know, people think that it's selfish, that you only focus on yourself or that it's weak, that you'll lose your edge. And it's just the opposite. Mindfulness makes you more present. When you're more present, first of all, you see clearly. So you're much more effective and productive and able to learn and pay attention. It also makes you more empathic and more compassionate and more present with other people. In fact, the areas of the brain, the insula that have to do with empathy and compassion grow bigger, right? Through practice of mindfulness. Now, sorry, through practice of meditation. Now, the difference between mindfulness and meditation is mindfulness is just being present. It's like you and me talking together right now. We're listening, we're we're speaking, we're, we're together, right? Meditation is what I do at different times to kind of, it's like going to the gym and it's like, I'm going and I'm working out my muscles The point is not to work out my muscles at the gym. My point is to go home and pick up my son, right? Or pick up the groceries. And so meditation is the exercise. And I like to think of it, mindfulness as kind of mental fitness. Like I'm I'm really developing these pathways of clarity and calm and compassion and presence so that I can live my best life. 
So mindfulness, again, is just about paying attention, being present in a curious, kind way. Meditation is the exercise that you do. Interesting. And I think that there's some different schools of thought on this too. I like to pull that oneness that I feel in meditation into my everyday life, right? Like Mm. from that vibration with this presence. I think that we need that time to just have meditation and just strengthen that muscle within ourselves and bring us back to center. But I find that if I do that in the morning, I can carry that vibration through the whole day. I'm wondering too about what it looks like and the changes that you see in the human mind in people's lives when they're able to really use mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. Yeah. So you said a couple of really important things. So the first thing you said, just so important is if you wake up and meditate during the day, it kind of shifts the vibration, the trajectory of your day. And you're absolutely right. In fact, what research shows, it's so fascinating. You know, people always ask me, when's the best time to meditate? And, and so of course, being a scientist, I'm like, okay, well, let's figure this out. And they recently published um, a paper at UC San Francisco. This was two years ago, showing that your mood in the morning and your mood in the evening predict your physical health, your longevity. They predict um, the health of your mitochondria, the length of your telomeres. I mean, big physiological markers. So it makes you realize that the morning and the evening are very important times to shape the mind. And if you look at all of the perennial wisdom traditions, they have morning and evening practices. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter which tradition it is. And so I think you're doing just right to to start your day that way. The unique thing about the morning is that the brain is in an alpha theta state, which means it's highly trainable. It's highly suggestible. And so that's the time you don't want to grab your phone or look at the news. That's the time you really want to imprint your mind. How do I want to live this day? It's when I set my intentions for the day, which actually intentions are neurochemical. So they release dopamine, which is like our neuromodulator of motivation, right? They give us, and then dopamine turns into acetylcholine, which is essential for learning. So setting an intention kind of puts into play this whole cascade of neurochemistry that then supports your quote vibration throughout the day. Does that make sense? Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's fascinating that you said setting intentions, and I'm writing this down as I talk, I-N-T-E-N- intentions. I'm trying to spell correctly. In the morning releases dopamine. I am reading right now, um, and we're recording this a couple months in advance, but I'm reading this book on Audible, Healing ADD by Dr. Daniel Amen. And Mm -hmm. he talks a lot, because I know I have ADHD. He talks about the different types of ADD. And I believe I'm the third type, but it's a lack of dopamine and a lack of serotonin. So I've been trying to just figure out, I am treatment resistant. So any medication just makes it so much worse. I've been working with supplements and natural remedies, but intention releases dopamine, which is fascinating. I want to give a big thank you to Jenna Kutcher for recommending me as the top intuition and manifestation coach. 
Because of her, I'm featured in this month's issue of Goss Magazine. If you'd like to work with me, join my angel membership. A whole new year of content and live events begins January 1st. The biggest impact I've seen is the angel membership has helped countless people move from feeling stuck, grief-stricken, frustrated, anxious, lonely, or depressed to feeling constant support, joy, love, bliss, ease, and peace because it's like they learn the angelic secrets to living life. I've watched so many souls take the tools in the membership and manifest the perfect relationship, the job they desire, or that special something that's been calling to them within their heart. So if your angels have been calling you to join the angel membership, that is a message. They're saying to you, hey, we know where you're going and we're trying to help you get there, but you need these tools in the angel membership to do so. If you need a scholarship, friends, a link is in the show notes below. If you want more info and a special promotion, use the link in the show notes to register for a discovery call this week. Don't miss the most transformative year of your life. Angel members, we start a whole new year together as a community on January 1st. Register today at theangelmedium.com. Yes. And so I would say definitely go and look at the research on mindfulness and attention deficit, all the different categories of disorders. The, the research is incredible, especially the research done at UCLA. And what they're finding is you can actually change both the brain chemistry and structure through mindfulness practice. So you can certainly impact your dopamine and serotonin levels before you're doing something like, let's say before you do a podcast, if you set an intention, right, may I be present at this podcast? Or for me, I often set an intention, may this be a benefit, right? Yes. It's not just some spiritual ideal that I'm having. When I say that, it releases dopamine, it re then releases acetylcholine. And then as I'm speaking to you, it helps me stay present and remember, oh, this is important. This is what I want to be doing right now. This is what I care about. And so it actually focuses your attention. This is so fascinating to me because I tell <laughs> people all the time, and my angel Reiki school students will get this, that spirit brings in stuff. And I don't even know what they, they're talking about, but I'll find out months or years later what they yeah. mean. I always talk about intention and just mm -hmm. how intention is so important. Before every session, I set intention. Before every podcast, before I sit down and write anything, always that intention. And I never knew that that's yeah. why. Right. And I think knowing the science helps it become more powerful because it's not like, you know, some people are like, oh, I'm setting an intention, but it's kind of this like hippy dippy thing. No, it's neurochemical and it will help you move in the direction you want to go. Fascinating. Okay. So while we're on this topic, are there any other things for my ADHD listeners <laughs> out there, ADD listeners that also release serotonin or dopamine? I mean, there's lots and lots of different things. We could do a whole podcast on that, but a, a couple of things. So gratitude, gratitude is one of the most powerful sources of changing your neurochemistry and it releases both serotonin and dopamine, also oxytocin. Um, so gratitude practice for me is one of the most powerful practices. And that one I practice in the evening. So remember how I said 
there's the morning and the evening times that are very important. So in the evening, when you practice gratitude, one, it, it brings this kind of healthy neurochemistry to you. Two, it helps you sleep better. That research has shown that gratitude practice before bed helps you sleep. And so in my new book, what I have is a very short morning practice of intention setting. And then every evening you do a gratitude practice. And again, I tried to keep it so it's five minutes a day. I never want people to be overwhelmed. But the just having these bookends at the beginning and the end of your day can radically shift your experience. That is phenomenal. So tell us more about your research and rewiring the brain. What else you've learned, other aha moments that you've had? Yeah. Well, my biggest aha moment, and this was before I even was studying neuroplasticity. So I was I was back in Thailand at the monastery and I was really struggling. I was, my mind was all over the place. I was in pain. I was frustrated. I I waited my whole you know, life, it felt like, to make it to this monastery with you know, real monks and real meditation cushions and real candles. And I felt like I was ruining it. Like I was like, I'm not doing it right. I suck at this. <laughs> What's wrong with me, right? And luckily, um, after about a week, this monk arrived who spoke English. Most of the monks spoke Thai, which I didn't speak. And I was telling him how I was doing and how I was struggling. And he looked at me and he said, oh dear, you're not practicing mindfulness. You're practicing impatience, judgment, frustration. And then he said five words I'll never forget. He said, what you practice grows stronger. Mm. Our repeated thoughts, emotions, experiences, they shape our brain. What you practice grows stronger. And he didn't know it. And I didn't know it at the time, but he was defining neuroplasticities, neuroplasticity, our repeated Thoughts, behaviors, experiences, they shape our brain. They wire our brain. In fact, there are studies showing, you know, taxi drivers in London who have to navigate the 25,000 streets of London. You can't do GPS for that. They have to go to school for four years to become a, a taxi driver. In America, we go to school for four years to become a doctor, right? So it's, it's a big deal. You, if you look at their brains, their visual spatial mapping part of the brain gets bigger and stronger because they've been practicing navigating the 25,000 streets of London. So what this monk said, what you practice grows stronger is the foundation of neuroplasticity. And it has really guided my whole research career, which is, you know, especially since I study mindfulness, well, what happens when people practice mindfulness? Well, a lot of times, especially in America, they start judging themselves just like I did. Mm -hmm. care about this. My mind keeps wondering. I have ADHD. I can't do it. I'm not, you know, I can't sit still. Those are, none of those are true. They're just thoughts. People misunderstand. Mindfulness is not about having your mind be perfectly still. It's about being present. And then if it wanders off, you gently bring it back like a little puppy dog. You're like, Oh, come back, sweetheart, or stay, stay. There's you're practicing coming back more than anything. And you're practicing this attitude of kindness and compassion towards yourself. As you lay down that pathway over and over during the meditation practice, you're growing, not just attention, which is what everyone knows about meditation. You're growing compassion. You're growing kindness and especially kindness towards yourself and towards life. It's like, oh, there's a little pain in my neck or, oh, there's some sadness. It's not like, oh my God, I'm a terrible person. It's just, that's what's happening right now. And, and so that for me is like, you're practicing all the time, not just when you're meditating. In every moment, you're laying down neural pathways. And so the real question you want to ask yourself is, 
what do I want to grow? Mm-hmm. What do I, what am I practicing? So when those things arise, that judgment within yourself, um, that frustration, oh, I shouldn't be thinking about this. I should be able to do this better, this mindfulness thing, meditation. Or life. <laughs> yeah, or life. Instead of judging it, having that compassion for ourselves. It's not like we're by- bypassing it and saying, yeah. not go there at all. It's more so going into it, allowing yourself to feel what needs to be felt, have compassion for it, just hold space for yourself to be where you are in the moment. And then don't they say that no emotion or like stays with you for more than 30 seconds? So exactly. I- no, first of all. No emotion is final, right? It's always going to be changing. And our emotions last for 30 to 60 seconds. So they rise up like a wave, they do their little dance and they pass away. And so the intention is not to bypass them, but just like you said, to like go right in and surf that wave and be present with it with compassion. And then what happens is I can see clearly what's the next right step, right? When I judge myself, some really fascinating and not so good things happen. So first of all, when you judge yourself, it shuts down the learning centers of the brain. Literally, it triggers the amygdala and it kind of starts freaking out and it releases all these chemicals that literally shut down the learning centers and shuttle your resources to survival pathways. Mm -hmm. So if I'm trying to, let's say for me, being a mother has always been very, very challenging. Wonderful, beautiful, love my children, very challenging. And so I think of my son, Jackson, um, because I was a single mom for a long time with him before I got remarried. And so he got the brunt of my my impatience and my my challenge. And so I remember one time getting mad at him because he wouldn't have dinner. I actually I made pasta and he threw it on the ground because it wasn't good because his dad's an amazing cook and I'm not. And we had we were separated. And so he was not happy with the new chef in the house. And I was so mad because I had tried so hard and I'd worked all day. And I remember just yelling at him being like, go to your room. And then I'm cleaning up the mess and I'm sitting there and he's, he was like four years old. It's not like he was, you know, he was just a baby still. And I remember going like, you're the worst mom. You spent all day talking about compassion, you know, studying mindfulness. And then you come home and you blow up at your child who's struggling with the divorce and, you know, and like, where's your compassion for your son? So here I am judging myself. And I realized in that moment, he's in his room crying. I'm not helping him. And I realized I needed a moment of compassion where I was like, oh, sweetheart, this is really hard. This is really hard. This is not who you want to be. And you're also struggling. And that moment of compassion allowed me to take a breath and be like, I need to go repair with him right now, right? Not let myself off the hook. So setting a really clear intention. I don't want to yell like that at my son. He was wrong and I'm going to discipline him, but I want to be more conscious in my response. And so the compassion helped me learn. If I just stayed in judgment, I'm the worst mom, I'm such a bad person, blah, blah, blah. He would have been crying in his room and I would have been locked in the struggle and missed the opportunity to learn. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And it's so wild how spirit brings through things and and then we can learn about them scientifically as well later on because mm-hmm. they talk all the time about how we're the ones who block ourselves more than anything. And this is one way that it that it happens when you have that judgment. What yeah. spirit says is that it's like this brick wall comes up. Between- and then spirit can't support you because you're literally shutting down your neurochemistry. I mean, 
a lot of, you know, people that I work with are engaging in behaviors that they don't want to be. So people who are binge eating or people who are drinking too much or, you know, what they're trying to heal. And what I explain is that one of the greatest impediments, or like you said, walls or blocks to change is self-judgment. That if I overeat at night and then I'm like, oh, what's wrong with you? You're terrible. I can't, you know, right. I lock myself into that pattern. Yeah. If in the moment I can have compassion for myself, say, sweetheart, you're lonely or you're whatever the reason being and give myself, then I can start to slowly shift that pathway. Yeah. Right. But it all starts with learning to love ourselves. I love in your background, you have, I love you. And that for me has been the the greatest challenge, right? We think it sounds weird to love yourself. It sounds, you know, new agey. It sounds selfish. You know, a lot of people feel like they, and yet when I give myself that love, it engages my neurochemistry so I can learn and become my best self and then give that to the world, to my children, to my students, to my patients. Yeah. Well, let's go into this on a deeper level, because what I see happening within the world is that divine feminine is rising not to be higher than divine masculine, but to bring balance into Mm. the world. And one of the things that Spirit's been working with me on throughout this entire year has been when you come into a situation where there's a dual conflict within you noticing how you would have normally typically reacted and noticing that your egoic mind really wants to pull you in that same direction that you've gone so many times before and then really spending time with your spirit team on the other side to say okay how can i handle this differently how can i bring divine feminine energy in to really create a different outcome or mm. go in a different direction yeah. the struggle is real though <laughs> like it is real itself. and i love so what you're talking about is what i call the mindful pause mm-hmm. where in between the stimulus, whatever the trigger was and your reaction, right? There's this space. And if you can pause in that space is your freedom to choose your response. Instead of automatically reacting the same old way, you can start to bring in that higher wisdom. And so that's one of the things I'm working most with in my life right now is that that sacred pause where I can take a breath and come back to my intention. What is most important right now? Because like you said, the struggle's real. We have patterning, not just from ourselves, but from our parents and our culture and our conditioning that is real. And so what I say to people is your first response, don't judge who you are based on that. That's your conditioning. It's, it's the next, your, your next choice. That's really where you start to see the spiritual growth and maturity. Yeah. You know, I think learning how to ride those waves that we talked about of emotion before is really important and also learning how to not struggle with them. So one of my favorite mathematical equations is suffering equals pain times resistance. And from a mindfulness perspective, pain is part of life. Pain is you're going to disappoint your friends or you're not going to know which podcast cover to use or or you know, you're gonna get sick, or someone you love is gonna get sick, or you're gonna die, or someone you love. That's just that's life. That's there's no way to avoid it. But if we resist, right? If we start, if you start spinning out, like you said, like, oh my God, I disappointed my friends, or I disappointed the, or am I doing the right thing? Or 
Am I misguided? Am I frustrated? You know, all these things. If you start doing that, you're you're resisting the, the actual pain, just the sensation of being like, darn, this is hard. And so let's say, you know, the pain of, of not getting a good response was five units, but you're resisting it by a thousand because you're like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> you have 5,000 units of suffering. Yeah. Right. But if the pain is five units and you resist it by zero, you have zero suffering. So it doesn't get rid of the pain, but the, the having that faith and that ease. And so what I usually do is in any given situation, I collect all the data, right? So just like you did, I, I will get consultation from different things and then I'll sit and meditate just like you did. And then what I'll do is I'll ask a wise being, whoever it is, you know, for you, it could be spirit for someone else. It could be, you know, their grandmother or their great grandmother or Gandalf, right? It could be anyone you want, but you just imagine this person coming and looking at the whole situation and you just visualize like, what would they say? How would they guide you? And I'm always amazed at the kind of creative responses I get from this other part of my consciousness. That's imagining I'm surprised sometimes who comes, you know, I'm like, oh, my third grade teacher, you know, just showed up. (laughs) I wonder what he has to say about this. Um, But it helps you step outside of that, like you mentioned, that egoic state and into this altered state of consciousness. I love it. Shauna, I really love your book too. I've got it right here. It's called Good Morning, I Love You, A Guided Journal for Calm, Clarity, and Joy. It does bring you through so many different practices, um, gratitude. Tell everybody, you have multiple different books. Tell everybody where they can find you and your books. You can find me at any bookseller. Uh, All my books are there. Um, The first book, Good Morning, I Love You, mindfulness and self-compassion practices to rewire the mind that I recommend to anyone who's interested in the science. It really goes deep and into the story. This journal was really a way for, to help people practice where people are like, I am ready to change my life. I'm ready to rewire my mind. And so that book is a three month journey that takes you on these five minute practices every day. And then one day a week, there's like a deep dive. So it could be on forgiveness or it could be on compassion or joy and and everything in in the journals based in science there's all these little scientific explanations but they don't take too long um and really the intention was to remind people that they have choice that we're never stuck it's never too late right you can always always rewire the mind so if people want to follow me on my instagram uh, dr shauna shapiro it's hard to find everyone types in shauna but it's dr shauna <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. We'll put all those links in the show note. Thank you so, so much for being here and for your time and for the work that you're doing in the world. Mm, Thank you so much. It was wonderful. Yeah. Beautiful soul. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name's Julie. You know, I'm all about connecting you with messages from your angels and loved ones on the other side. If you've been listening today and you're super excited and just have to know which angels are around you right now, who's connecting with you, and what messages they have for you, go to theangelmedium.com. Register for a session. You can do a reading with me or a member of my team. We're all incredible. We all talk to angels daily, and we can help you in making sure that your angels are doing the very best they can to support you and guide you to your best life. 
If this sounds like you, virtual sessions, they're only offered on my website. Sign up today. And if you're the person who's really excited, you're ready to go all in developing all of your unique spiritual gifts, growing your intuition, starting your own healing business, you can sign up for my Angel Reiki School to become a certified angel messenger. That's for the healers among us who feel called to grow their intuition to the max and serve humanity with their gifts. You'll learn Reiki, mediumship, how to deliver angel messages, and how to get clients. That's the Angel Reiki School at theangelmedium.com or DM me on Instagram at Angel Podcast with any questions. Before you go, connect with your angels by placing your hands on your heart. Take a deep breath. Imagine a doorway filled with God's unconditional love is right in front of you. Step into that love and feel it as it fills your body, chakras, and auric field. Now ask your angels, what would you have me know today? And open yourself to the positive, loving messages they have just for you. <laughs> 